Gospel of Matthew in the 6th chapter. We finally continuing in our exploration. Chapter 6, i just going to go ahead and warn you, things aren't going to change a whole, whole lot. But here we are, continuing in our exploration of the study of the Sermon on the Mount. So, uh, there was this organization, I guess there still is, they still exist, it's called Evangelism Explosion. And they really hit their peak in like the 80s and 90s, and what Evangelism Explosion was trying to do was produce uh, literature and have conferences and do stuff like try to practically equip people to share the gospel, specifically in a way that I would call like cold call evangelism. What that means is give you tools to share the gospel with people you, you don't have a relationship with. Like you just bump into them, and you want to have a gospel conversation, here's maybe some ways I can do that. Maybe your stereotypical example is like an airplane. If you're sitting beside somebody in an airplane, how would you go about trying to have a gospel conversation with that person? They were trying to give you tools to do that. I would just say, in my experience, airplanes have not been a great venue for me. I was on one the other week. I had an entire road to myself on the way there. Nobody to talk to. On the way back, the lady sitting beside me could not have made it any more apparent to me or anyone else in the world that she had no intention of talking to anybody the entire flight back. So not a, great, not a great venue for me, but maybe for you. If you find yourself on an airplane, they were trying to give you tools like this to have conversations with people. How do we turn this into a gospel conversation? And so what Evangelism Explosion decided to do was we're going to give you a couple of simple questions you can ask. It's fair to ask questions, right? Let's give you questions you can ask to try to turn a, gospel, to turn a conversation into a gospel uh, conversation. So the first question. What? It's the first question you need to ask. Hey, if you were to die today, are you certain that you would go to heaven? That was the first question that they were trying uh, to get folks to ask. Now, I think on the surface there's just a couple of challenges with that question. Uh, number one, everybody ever who believes in heaven is operating under the assumption that they're going to heaven or else they would stop doing what they're doing so that they could go to heaven. So asking that question is like asking, do you believe in heaven? So that's one challenge. The second challenge is, and this is a challenge we're going to run into this morning. There are lots and lots and lots and lots of people who are super duper confident they're going to heaven. As you said, no, you're not. There are lots of people who are emphatically confident that I am going to heaven. I'm on this trajectory to go to heaven. And Jesus is going to look at them this morning and say, no. You're missing it. We're going to see Jesus interact with the Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes, these people he's going to call hypocrites this morning. That's what he's going to call them in the text. But as he interacts with them, just keep in mind he's interacting with these people who we've watched all through the law. We've watched them say things like, sure we're, sure we're going to heaven. Sure we're going to be declared righteous. Why? Because things we've done. They're a checklisting people. They're able to point and say, look, I haven't killed anybody. I haven't slept with anybody that's not my wife. Uh, I'm, I'm fine. But the checklist here, surely I'm good. Surely I'm fine. But their confidence is, is rock solid that they're going to heaven. The challenge is going to be that second question that Evangelism Explosion would teach you to ask. How are you getting in? Are you confident you're going to heaven? And then the second question is, if God were to ask you, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? And we're talking to a group of people who this morning, and we've been seeing all through chapter 5, are going to turn around and say, because of what I do, or because of what I haven't done, because I've got the ability to keep this checklist, surely I'm righteous. And Jesus says, that's not it. And this morning, we're going to see these hypocrites, these scribes, Pharisees, Sadducees, we're going to see them express in a, in a brand new avenue a way that they might would respond to that and say, here's why I should be in heaven. They used to be pointing to their own interpretation of the law. Now they might point to something like how religious they are. Their ability to do religious things. 
And Jesus is going to help us see why doing religious things is not a ground for our righteousness this morning. So here we go. Uh, Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be uh, praised by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who's in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this daily, our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they receive their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we do thank you. You've given us your word. We do thank you that your word's sufficient. We do thank you that your word aims uh, to teach us and make us more Christ-like. So we ask that you would do that in us right now by the power of your spirit through the working of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well last week, if you'll recall, we ended in Matthew chapter 5 with a, a summary statement. That summary statement is right there for you in verse 48. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So this, the summary statement to all the ways that maybe the people around Jesus, these people he's going to call hypocrites, the way they misinterpreted the law is, here's the point. You've got to be perfect. If you want to establish your righteousness by your works, you've got to be perfect. You've got to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. We ended the week rejoicing and thanking the Lord he's made a way for us to be perfect, not through our works, but through Jesus. Summary statement right there into Matthew chapter 5. Well, chapter 6 starts with a summary statement. So the summary statement is right there for you in chapter 6, verse 1. Hey, beware or like watch out of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who's in heaven. Summary statement. Everything else that Jesus is going to say this morning is an explanation of what he means by verse 1. Beware. Or watch out. Or just don't practice your righteousness in front of other people to be seen by other people. Why? Because we're in the Sermon on the Mount. And the whole point of the entirety of the Sermon on the Mount is that our lives, if we're going to be disciples, what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a Christ follower, is that our lives would be aimed at God. We would live unto God. So if we're people, if we're Christ followers, and we're going to live our lives unto God, well, we can't simultaneously live our lives unto other people. We can't simultaneously turn around and say, we want to do a bunch of things so that the people around us will think really well of us and think we're just great people. You can't please God and please man at the same time. It doesn't work like that. 
So beware, if that's you, if you're trying to practice righteousness in order that other people will see you, beware, because if you do that, you will have no reward from your Father is in heaven. And the point of that is, it's going to be pretty hard for you to get rewarded in heaven if you're not going to be there. People who would prefer the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God and would not live their lives unto God, but would live their lives unto this world, will not inherit the world that is to come. That's Jesus' point all through our text this morning. So it's a big deal. He just said, like, if you do this, if this is the pattern of your life, don't plan on being rewarded in heaven because you're not going. It's a big deal. Pretty emphatic. Jesus is throwing down the gauntlet. Here's what it looks like to be in the kingdom of heaven. Here's what it looks like not to be in the kingdom of heaven. Important stuff. So Jesus, could you explain that for me a little bit? Can you show me what you're talking about? And Jesus says, let's do it. Verse 2, thus... Since this is the case, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Yeah, don't do that. When you give to the needy, I assume you know that there's nothing wrong with giving to the needy. We even saw Jesus last week in chapter 5 talk about giving. Give to the one who asked you. Nothing wrong with giving. Not a problem with giving. The problem is that you would give in such a way that pretends to be serving someone else, pretends to be helping the needy, but actually you're serving you. Actually, you're making sure that you're doing it in such a way that people notice what you're doing, they see what you're doing, they hear what you're doing, and instead of saying, oh, wow, I'm living for the glory of God, you turn around and you've managed to make this thing about you. You've managed to make even your act of giving or your act of serving about you, and, and Jesus says this morning, when you give in that way, like you give that you may be praised by others, what you're doing is you're being a hypocrite. You're acting like a hypocrite. And hypocrite is this word that Jesus is using for the Pharisees and the scribes, Sadducees, these religious leaders of his day, the people we interacted with all the chapter 5. We're going to interact with them for the rest of our time today in chapter 6. They're never going to be very far from Jesus' rebuke the rest of the Gospel of Matthew. But this word this morning he's using, hypocrite, we use that word a lot. Where's it coming from? It's from a Greek word that was used to refer to actors who carried multiple types of masks so they could play different characters in a play. Plays were a big deal back in Greece. It's the way they entertained themselves. They didn't have kids at home watching Netflix. Okay? So they went out and they went to plays. And at plays, you would need actors to play multiple different parts if a play was written for more people than you had. So they would carry with them multiple masks. So if you need to be one character, you hold this mask up. If you need to be another character, you hold this mask up. And Jesus says, when you have these people who are walking around acting like they're big, bad, religious, highfalutin people, and it turns out they're actually living unto other men, they're actually aiming their lives at what the world thinks of them, they're, act, they're putting on a show. That's what they're doing. This is their performance. Their lives really isn't aimed at God because if it was aimed at God, they wouldn't care about what everybody else thought of them. They would care about what God thought of them. They wouldn't value man's approval. They would value God's approval. They wouldn't live for man's assessment. They'd live for God's assessment. And so Jesus says, you gotta watch out when you start practicing your righteousness in order to be seen by other people. So if you're the type of person who's gonna give that, others might praise you. Look out, and here's why you should look out, because truly, end of verse two, I say to you, they have received their reward. It's gonna be uh, pretty hard for you to be rewarded in heaven if you're not gonna be there. That's your, like, that's all you're getting. Whatever you got from that act that you did so that other people would see you, you've already received the best thing you're going to get. Maybe people congratulated you. Maybe people patted you on the back. Maybe people talked about how great of a person you were. Maybe you deceived people and they got up and made a big speech about how great of a person you were. 
Great, that's your reward. That's what you get. That's all you get. Because you need not think God's going to reward that type of giving. So no, not that. Don't do that. Do this. Same as last week. Not that, but this. Don't give in that way, but here's what you should do. Verse three, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. So again, giving to the needy is not the problem. Jesus assumes you're gonna give to the needy because he says, when you give to the needy. So give to the needy by all means. But when you give to the needy, you, instead of being like these hypocrites, you ought to give to the needy in such a way that your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing. There's some of you who are saying, I don't know how that works. What do you mean? What do you mean? Again, hyperbole, an intentional overstatement for the point of making a point. And the point this week, the point today, we've done this like three weeks in a row, but Jesus' point today is you don't need to be the type of people who wouldn't make a big deal out of your giving in front of others. You don't even need to make a big deal out of giving to yourself. Or this, this is my duty. It's like, this, is what, this is what you've called me to do. Like, I'm not only don't want others to be impressed by me, I'm not even going to let my, myself be impressed by me. I, I don't even think I'm a big deal. I'm not even giving in such a way that I'm taking a lot of pride in my ability to give. Jesus says that's kind of not the point. Why is that not the point? Because it's not about you. You getting in the kingdom of heaven doesn't hinge on your giving or how religious you look. So don't give. Don't give in this way that others would look at you and praise you. No, when you give, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And if you do that, what happens? Verse four, so that. Given this way so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Yeah, but Jesus, if I don't go out and make a big display out of my giving, nobody's going to know what I did. And Jesus says, God's going to know what you did. You don't have to worry. Like the just judge of all the earth will do what is right. And if you give in such a way that's aimed at him, you can count on him rewarding you. The glory that comes from God is insurmountably greater than the glory that comes from man. Which one are you living for? The Pharisees were living for the reward that comes from man. Therefore, they will not receive the reward that comes from God. Pharisees, are you going to heaven? Yes, absolutely. How are you getting there? What are you going to say to God when he says, why should I let you in? You're, we're going to say, we've given so much. We've been so righteous. And if you don't believe us, just go ask all the people who saw us give so much and be so righteous. The Pharisees, they weren't a people who not wanted to give so that they could serve the Lord. They were people who wanted to give so that people would serve them. And they weren't just the people who were interested in giving in that way. They're also people who are interested in praying in that way. Verse 5. And when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, same group of people, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. Praying, there's nothing wrong with praying. I hope you know there's nothing wrong with praying. Not a big, not a, not a big sin against God to pray. God wants you to pray. We prayed some this morning. Prayer's a good thing. You know what's not a good thing? When you pray unto people, when you aim your prayers at impressing people, that's where you've gone wrong. Jesus says, when you pray to your Father. He's about to say that in a minute. So prayer is supposed to be aimed at God. Where we go wrong in prayer, one of the ways we go wrong in prayer is when we stop aiming at God and start aiming at other people. And Jesus says, watch out. If you're that type of person, if you're going to pray in that way, beware, watch out, do not do that. 
Don't pray to be seen by others. And here's why you shouldn't pray to be seen by others. Because they've received their reward. If you pray like that, that's all the reward you're getting. Whoever would stand up and say, you know, that was a real articulate prayer. That was really, that was really cool what you did with your words there. You really blessed that meal really well. If, 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 if those are the type of comments you're getting back when you pray, that's all you're getting. If you're praying to impress other people, the only reward you're getting is what they're willing to give you in terms of patting you on the back and affirming you and maybe congratulating you and talking about how godly you are. That's all the rewards you're getting because you're not going to get a reward from God for that. And if that's your consistent pattern of life, you're not going to go to heaven and get that reward anyway. You don't have to worry about it. So don't pray like that. How, how, how should we pray? Verse 6. When you pray, so again, pray, you ought to pray when you pray. Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who's in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. So pray. Be sure to pray. But when you pray, here's how you ought to pray. Go in your room, shut the door, and pray to your father who's in secret. That point right there that we really need to draw out is to your father. Prayer is aimed at God. Prayer is not aimed at other people. Prayer is aimed at God. And so Jesus says, hey, look, again, a little bit of hyperbole. If you really want to make sure that you're praying in the right way, just go in your room and shut the door. You know how it's easy not to pray towards an audience of people? Don't pray in front of an audience of people. (laughs) Prioritize prayer that happens in personal, in private. It's really hard to aim at somebody else when it's just you and God. So Jesus says, pray this way. Now, look, Jesus is not condemned all public prayer. You know how I know that? Because Jesus is going to go on to pray publicly. What Jesus has just condemned is the type of prayer that takes place aimed at someone other than God, where I'm seeking the approval of someone other than God. I hope that sounds absolutely ridiculous to you. I hope that thought has never crossed your mind that prayer was about anything else. But we just need to be aware that Jesus is aware that it could be. Because for the religious leaders around him, he's saying they're doing this. They're getting up in the synagogues and the street corners so that other people see them and say, wow, those are really some righteous people. I hope that's not true of your prayer life. If that's true of your prayer life, go in your room and shut the door and learn how to pray to God before you worry about praying in front of other people. And if you do that, your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Yeah, but Jesus, like nobody's going to see me. Nobody's going to hear how articulate my words are. Nobody's going to hear how great my theology is. Nobody's going to know how like passionately I can like throw up these words to you. And Jesus said, that's great. Your father who sees in secret will take care of it. God sees. You in your room praying, God sees. Prayers aimed at God. Now, there's another way we can go wrong here. The problem in the first couple of verses of prayer when we're thinking about how these uh, Pharisees, Sadducees, hypocrites pray is the context of their prayer. They're praying out in public that people might see them and look at them. But there's another way we can go wrong here. Uh, Jesus inserts this in verse 7. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. So brand new group of people. Not the Pharisees, not the Sadducees, not the people being called hypocrites, but these Roman pagan people who we've been talking about a little bit. And their problem in prayer is these empty phrases. They heap up empty phrases. Don't pray like that. Four, they think that they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. So the problem now is not the context. The problem is the content. They've got all these empty phrases that they're throwing up, thinking that they're going to be heard for their many words. Now, again, when you think about the context, we think about Gentiles, we think about pagans, part of the problem is they're not even praying towards God most of the time. 
People don't believe in the God of heaven. You go back to now, 1 Kings 18, and we think about Elijah, and he's interacting with these prophets of Baal, and they'll do stuff like this over and over and over. All day long, it says, they walk around and cry out to Baal, 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 Baal. Well, one of the problems is they got these empty phrases, and they're throwing them up to somebody who's not a god. That's, that's part of the challenge there. But the other challenge is it's ritualistic. It's formulaic. It's like casting a spell. It's like this magical formula. If we like say the right words at the right time in the right way, we're going to force God's hand to do something. And God says, yeah, um, I'm not a pagan. I don't work like that. This ain't no, ain't no magical sorcery stuff with me. Don't imagine that you're going to be heard for your empty phrases. Don't do that. Your many words aren't helping you out. Okay. So what do we do? How, 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 how should we pray? Like Jesus, if we can go wrong in our context by praying towards other people and praying in this way to be seen by other people, and we can go wrong in terms of our content, we just throw up these empty phrases for no apparent reason. We don't even know the weight of what we're saying. Like if we can go wrong in those ways, Jesus, like, can you help us pray? Pray then like this. This is how you ought to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's just make a few observations about the prayer that the Lord has, has taught us here. This is a model prayer. This is something given to us for us to learn. Okay, how, wait. So if we're not supposed to pray like that, how are we supposed to pray? And Jesus says, our Father. Personal. Intimate. A me and God thing. A conversation between me and my father. It is intimate, it is personal, it is tender. It's also authoritative. He's my father after all. I respect him, I revere him after all. This is a good name for the Lord. Brothers and sisters. The fact that we're brothers and sisters means that God's our father. It's a really big deal. So our, our father, you who have authority over us, you who have dominion over us, you who, to whom we uh, belong, like we come to you, we know that you're tender towards us because you're our Father, but we also recognize we respect and revere and stand in awe of you, our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed, what's hallowed mean? We don't use that word anymore. Lord, we ask that your name would be revered. We ask that your name would be seen as holy. Lord, would you make your name holy in the sight of others? Lord, what we want is the fame of your name. Like, we want your name to be praised. We want your name to be set apart. We want your name to be glorified. So, Father, hallowed be your name. And Lord, we don't just want your name to be seen as holy. Lord, we also want your kingdom to come. Your kingdom it's the same word, right? We've seen, we've seen John the Baptist say this. We've seen Jesus say this. Repent for the kingdom of heaven's at hand. The kingdom of heaven is here. It's here right now. Part of what that means is welcome to the scene. Here's Jesus. In Jesus, the manifest rule and reign of God has broken in our midst. Like he is God and he's here. The kingdom of God has come very, very close to us in the rule and reign of Jesus. So Lord, make much of Jesus. Lord, we want to see you ruling and reigning in our midst even right now. We want to see your kingdom spread throughout this sin-filled world. Like, Lord, would you make that happen? And Jesus come once to inaugurate the kingdom. Jesus is coming again to consummate the kingdom. So guess what else we look forward to? The day when it's done. We look forward to what we're now seeing in part, the already but not yet happened. We're looking to the part where it's happened. 
We look forward to the day when God comes to put everything in this world under his feet. There will be no rebellion against God on that day. So, Lord, we look forward to the day when you not only have now inaugurated your kingdom, but you bring it in its full. Lord, we can't wait for your disciple would make. Lord, your name be holy. Your kingdom come, not just your kingdom come, but like your will be done and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we want what you want. We, our desires, we want to line them up with your desires. We want to see this world, even this sin-filled, sin-scarred world that we live in, we want to see it more and more and more conformed to you and who you are and what you're like and what you want. And we rejoice in those brief, fleeting moments when that happens. When in our world, even as sinful and fallen as it is, we delight in those brief moments when that happens. And Lord, we just ask that it would happen more and more and more and more. Would you give us more of those moments? Would you cause us to appreciate those moments? Lord, we want to see your will be done and we want to see it done in our midst. A note on prayer. Look how it starts. Three things aimed at God. Radically God-centered. Not aimed, at, not aimed at me, not aimed at you, not aimed at us. It's aimed at God. Like, our Father, we want your name to be hallowed, we want your kingdom to come, and we want your will to be done on earth, right here, right now, to the extent that it is, is, that it is in heaven. Brothers and sisters, do you pray like that? Could we accuse your prayers of being that God-focused? Like, when you pray, are you worried about God, or are you ultimately worried about something else? Because Jesus says, this is how disciples ought to pray. This is how Christians ought to pray. We ought to pray in such a way that we're after what God's after before we're after anything else. I think we're going to run into a verse about that next week, where if we'll, we'll look to God, all these other things are going to kind of fall into place. So prayer starts that way, radically God-centered. And then we do transition to us, needs. Jesus says, we, yeah, great, we, here we are. We have needs. We have real needs, and there really is a place and a time and a way to express them. How do we do that, Lord? Give us this day our daily bread. Lord, we need things. Lord, we need even these basic things to sustain ourselves. We're not like you. We're not self-dependent. We're not completely, uh, like, we're, we're these people that come relying on things. And one of the things we rely on is, like, food. And we just want to come and express to you that even these most basic, mundane, basic, you totally could take them for granted type of things, like we know that we're dependent on you for them and we know that all good gifts come from you. And so, Lord, even this bread, we don't trust ourselves for it. Even in our modern, even in our modern 21st century context with all the technology and all the cool stuff we got and all the ways we, can, we think we can provide and solve for ourselves and all this stuff, like if God ever stops sustaining us, we're toast. Lord, we need you. We're dependent on you in all things, even the most basic things of life. So Lord, would you give us our daily bread? When we get our daily bread, we'll acknowledge that it comes from you and not us. Give us our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. So, Lord, uh, we're not just dependent on you physically, like we're dependent on you spiritually. If my physical life will be preserved, it will be because you preserve it and you provide for me. And if my spiritual life will ever exist, it'll be because you have mercy on me. Because here's the problem, Lord, I'm a debtor, and I'm a debtor towards you. 
And so I ask, Lord, that you would forgive my debts. I have them. They're real. I should be condemned for them. I'm asking that you won't condemn me for them. I'm asking that you will forgive me. And as a person who's experienced your forgiveness, I'm going to forgive other people. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. There really are people who really have sinned against me, and those things really do hurt. I know that I've never done anything as sinful, that anything's never been done as sinful to me as I've done against you. So, Lord, forgive me my debts as we turn around and forgive our debtors. We're dependent on you physically. We're dependent on you spiritually. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lord, I don't just need you like physically. I don't just need you like spiritually. Like, Lord, I'm so dependent on you. I'm so fickle that I need you to spare me from temptation. There's these things around me in my life that tempt me, and Lord, I ask, I need you to deliver me from them. I do not want to to stray off this path and go into evil. And so, Lord, I ask that you wouldn't lead me in that direction. Lord, keep me, preserve me, hold me back from sin. Because this is how fickle I am. Like, this is how problematic my flesh is. It's so problematic that I can be in the act of giving, and I can be trying to give something to somebody in a way that helps them one minute, and three seconds later, I'm serving me. I'm aimed at me. And I've stopped doing this thing for you. I've started doing it for me. Like, that's how lowly I am. That's how weak I am. I'm so weak in my own strength that I could come to pray towards you. And I could end up praying for the approval of other people. Lord, this is how close sin is to me. I am prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. I am prone to leave the God I love. That's me. We sing it, I'm in it. The Bible's telling us, hey, sin, it's close at hand. It's crouching at the door. Like, here it is. So, Lord, we desperately need you to deliver us from our sin. We need you to keep us. We need you to keep us physically. We need you to keep us spiritually. And, Lord, we're asking you to go before us and protect us spiritually. Do not lead us into temptation. But, Lord, deliver us from evil. The point. Summary. Here you go. Don't pray like the Gentiles. Don't pray like the Pharisees. Don't pray towards other people. Don't pray for the approval of other people. Don't use a lot of words so that people will think you're really great. Don't heap up empty phrases in this ritualistic, formulaic way. Nope, here's how you should pray. You should pray simply, directly, from your heart towards God. And you should ask him to glorify himself in the sight of those around you. And you should ask him to glorify himself in and through you. That's how you ought to pray. Do that. Now, if you're, if you're here and you got your Bible out and you're reading this and you're trying to figure out, so where's that phrase? For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Because I've quoted this a bunch of times and I've always said that. I've also quoted it and said trespasses instead of debts, all that good stuff. But where did that phrase go? Where is it at? Why is it in Thomas's Bible? It is in my Bible, but it's in the footnotes of my, of my Bible. So there's a little bit of a discrepancy here. It depends on which manuscript tradition you trust. The best manuscripts we have access to seem to indicate that it was a later scribal edition that a guy wrote down what they were praying in church instead of what the gospel of Matthew Matthew said originally. 
right? So it seems to be a later edition. Your Bible is going to reflect whatever manuscript tradition it was translated from. When the people looked at the Greek manuscripts, hey, which one of these do we have access to? Which one of these do we prioritize? And the decision that the people who translated your Bible made will be reflected either in the text or in the footnotes. There you go. It's not the primrose path of destruction if your Bible has that in there. That's great if your Bible has it in there because, honestly, it seems to be a quote from 1 Chronicles 29. So it's not, it's not anti-biblical. It's good theology. The power really is God's. The kingdom really is God's, right? That's good. So you believe that. You hold on to that. It might be in your Bible. It might be in the footnotes. If you got questions or follow-up on that, you talk to me. That's some of what we talked about on our translation discussion in the spring. So there you go. If you were, if you were curious and couldn't go home without that, there you go. Okay, back to the text. Verse 14. Four. This is, a, this is a, a tag that goes back to verse 12. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Four. If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. The point. It's implied in verse 12. Here it is for you in verse 14. Forgiveness is not a one-way street. If you've received forgiveness from God, you will be, if you're going to be a disciple, you will be characterized as a person who's willing to forgive other people. And if you will not forgive other people, if that does not characterize your life, if you're not willing and eager to do that, I don't think you understand the the fact that you've been forgiven. Because again, you have sinned against God emphatically more than anyone has ever sinned against you. Also, you're a sinner. People are going to sin against you. It's no big deal. You're both sinners. You've sinned against God, who's very much not a sinner, and who very much is a just and righteous God, and who very much owes you punishment for your sin against him. And he's looked at your sin and said, I'll send my son so they don't have to pay that. And you're the type of person who says, well, I'm going to hold on to that. Yeah, God can forgive me, but I ain't going to forgive you. I, I just don't think you understand the gospel. I don't think you've wrapped your head around how big God is, how problematic your sin is, and how valuable Jesus is. And if you haven't done that, like if you're not going to be a person who's willing to forgive because you've been a person forgiving by, forgiven by God, it seems like you're missing it. I'm concerned that you don't understand forgiveness. I'm concerned that you haven't been forgiven because those who are forgiven those who are disciples those who are Christ followers those who are Christians are people who are willing to forgive hey Pharisees y'all going to heaven you know for sure that y'all are going to heaven yeah yeah we do God asked you why he should let you into heaven what you Pharisees plan on saying look at how we prayed if you don't believe us go ask the people that saw it Pharisees weren't just the people who prayed for other people to see him. They fasted for other people to see him. Verse 16. When you fast, nothing wrong with fasting. When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Fasting. What is fasting? What's going on with fasting? Maybe I need to give a word on fasting. Fasting, real simple. You don't eat. (laughs) That works. For a set amount of time, you just don't eat. Then you say, wow, like, wouldn't that make you hungry? Like, yeah, 
That's the point. Like, you don't eat. It's not like a diet. So some people will say, well, I'm having a sweet fast. I ain't going to eat no sugar this month. That's a diet. It's not a fast. I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to eat dessert this month. That, it's a diet. It's just a diet, okay? You're not fasting. Or I'm not going to eat no meat today. I've got this. It's not a fast. It's just a diet. It's a vegetarian diet, and I don't think it's a good idea either, for in case you're asking. But a fast is I'm, going not, I'm not going to eat for a while, and I'm not going to eat for a while for the purpose that I actually convince myself how serious I am about this thing. <laughs> like, Lord, this is serious. I'm depending on you. More than I want food right now, and I want food right now because I'm hungry because I ain't ate in about 24 hours. Like, I'm hungry right now, and what I want more than I want to end my fast is I want to see blank happen. I want to see you give me a greater desire for my Bible. I want to see you strengthen my marriage. I want to see you create more unity in the church. Lord, I'm asking that you would glorify yourself and the people's lives around me by saving them. I want to see you give my friends or my family a new heart, and I want that more than I want to eat right now. That's what fasting is. Nothing wrong with fasting. When you, Jesus, when you fast, there's something wrong with fasting in such a way that other people see you. When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. They disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. That. So they're aiming at, I want my fasting to be seen by other people. If that happens, if that's you, if that's how you fast, truly I say to you, you've received your reward. Ain't going to be no, re- no more reward for you. It's kind of hard to get rewarded in heaven when you're not going to be there. So if you're fasting for the approval of man and not for the approval of God, don't count on being in heaven to receive a reward. And there's not one waiting on you anyway. God doesn't reward that type of fasting. So not that. Don't do that. But this. When you fast, verse 17, anoint your head and wash your face that you're fasting may not be seen by others, but your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Okay, so I'm supposed to anoint my head, put this oil on my head, wash my face. Why, like, but Jesus, if I do that, people aren't gonna know I'm fasting. They're not gonna know that I've deprived myself. And Jesus said, that's the point. It's not about you. Stop thinking it's about you. It's not about your own ability, chapter five, to interpret the law and mishandle it and make it so that there's just checklists you can kind of walk through and check off and think that you're gonna somehow be reconciled to God by your own efforts. Nor is it about your ability to appear religious to other people. You can appear to religious to plenty of other people, anybody else you want to. Turns out it's about God's assessment, not the assessment or the approval of man. So fast, nothing wrong with fasting. Don't fast in a way that is aimed at other people. If you do that, you will have no reward. But if you fast the way that you're being called to fast, you fast in secret, well, your father who sees in secret will reward you. You'll get a reward. There's a, there's a reward in heaven for living our lives unto God. But the people who will not live their lives unto God will not be in heaven to get that reward. It's going to be pretty hard for you to be rewarded in heaven if you're not going to be there. Pharisees didn't get that. It's kind of how blind spots work, right? Blind, you can't see them. That's what makes them blind. So the Pharisees don't understand this. They don't get God's economics here. They don't get the fact that when we spend our lives living unto the world, we can't simultaneously live our lives unto God. And it's only those, Jesus' teaching, it's only those who live their lives unto God who will inherit the kingdom of heaven. This is what a disciple is like. This is what a Christian is like. This is what a Christ follower is like, a people who would live their lives entirely unto God. The challenge is, 
Pharisees couldn't see it. They were rock solid confident that they were going to heaven. They were rock solid confident. I mean firm in the conviction that they were a righteous people. In asking them that question, Pharisees, are you going to heaven? Oh, they could have passed that test with flying colors. Surely I'm going to heaven. Of course I'm going to heaven. I'm so confident that I'm going to heaven. And we're taking that second question to help them see maybe there's a problem. You ask a Pharisee, you ask a hypocrite, hey, tell me why. What are you going to say to God when he says, like, why shall I let you into heaven? Will they turn and say things like, look how righteous I am. Look how much I give. Look how well I pray. Look at how much I afflict myself through fasting and depriving myself of food. Lord, if you don't believe I've done all these things, just go and ask the people who saw me. They'll vouch for me. What are you supposed to do with that? I guess you turn around and undercut it with the gospel. I guess that's what you have to try to do. But the challenge is that you've created this category in the Pharisee's mind where it matters. Like, it's really important that I think I'm going to heaven. And maybe if I just think I'm going to heaven, that makes it real. And the problem is if we think we're going to heaven and that makes it real, brothers, pretty much everybody around here must be going to heaven then. That's what everybody thinks. Don't nobody think they're not going to heaven who believes in heaven. Is there a better way to do this? Is there are better questions or maybe something we could ask these Pharisees who would help them connect some of the dots on the front end. These aren't novel. These aren't mine. I didn't invent these. But wouldn't it have been helpful to ask the Pharisees? Mr. Pharisee, Miss Pharisee, what are you living for? What are, you, what are you living for? What are you aiming your life at? I'm not asking primarily about what you do. I'm not asking primarily about the things that you're able to muster up and the, the show you're able to put on for other people. I'm not, I'm not asking you to show me a checklist. I'm asking you, like, what are you living for? What is your definition of the good life? What would it look like to successfully live life per your definition? What are you living for? Pharisees would have had a hard time with that. Because the Pharisees would have had to say things like, I do like my robes, and I do like my synagogues, and I do like my street corners, and I do like people thinking well of me and pat me on the back. Maybe I'm just maybe living for the approval of man, even if I was conveniently like, disguised in this religious garb. Pharisee, what are, you, what are you living for? My friends, I would ask you what, are you, what are you living for? What's your definition of the good life? What's success going to look like for you? Like, what are you aiming at? And then the question you've got to ask, is that thing part of the world? Or is that thing the glory of God? Because Jesus says, you know who disciples are? People who live their lives unto God. There will not be people in the kingdom of heaven being rewarded for what's going on in this world if they've lived their lives for the world. If they've valued the approval of man more than they've valued the glory that comes from God, they're not going to be in the kingdom of God. So brothers and sisters, friends, if you're here, like, what are you living for? And, second question. How's that going for you? I mean, how's that working out? Because if you're living for things of this world, I'm going to assume... This is my experience. So I'm going to assume it's your experience. You probably found some place in some time. This is kind of a kind of a rat race. It's not easy. 
It's not super duper easy to live to the approval of other people, even if those people are people like me. Like even if I'm just trying to live so that I feel sufficient, so that I feel approved, so that I feel like I'm valuable, surely you found that that's hard to consistently do. Surely you've disappointed yourself just a little bit, which is God's big hint to you in this world he's created, you're wrong. He's saying, stop. You've got, this, you've got this void in you that you're trying to fill with you and it's actually designed to be filled by me. So instead of living your life unto you and living your life unto the world, how about you start thinking, what would it look like for me to live my life unto God? Brothers and sisters, what are you living for? And how's that working for you? How's that going for you? If you're tired of trying to chase the world and the things that it offers and the things that it says create value and the approval that it offers to you, if that's what you've been trying to do and you're, you're tired of doing that, I would just invite you this morning to stop, stop your striving. Stop your working in that direction and just take the whole entire weight of your life and rest it on Jesus. He can bear you up. You cannot bear yourselves up. Trusting in your righteousness will get you nowhere. Trusting in Jesus' righteousness on your behalf will reconcile you to God. Would you pray with me? Oh Lord, uh, in your word this morning, we've seen really clearly who we ought not to be. We ought not to be a people who live our lives unto the things of this world, no matter how cleverly we try to disguise that in religious garb. So Lord, we don't want to be a religious people. We don't want to be a people who look well to the world around us and look really righteous to our peers, but in your eyes, we're still unholy. Lord, it will take the righteousness of Christ and the righteousness of Christ alone to make us right with you. So Lord, I pray that right now in each and every one of our hearts, you would undercut any trust that we have in ourselves or any desire we have to live for the approval of this world because we know by experience that living for the approval of the world is futile and will never sustain us. Lord, we ask that you would change our hearts even now in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're going to have a hymn of response. I'll be down in the front row uh, worshiping the Lord with you guys. If you would like to talk to me about anything or pray with me about anything, I'd be happy to do that with you.